find Genesis 29. And uh, <clears throat> no reason, just for the sake of conversation. I'm just curious. If tonight, on Wednesday nights, if you use the King James Version, raise your hand. Okay. New King James. Okay. Uh, NIV. Good many hands there. ESV. Okay. Uh, NLT. Okay. New American Standard. NAS. Okay. RSV or N or New RSV. The message. Good. That's a paraphrase anyway. Uh, it's neat to see the way it puts some things, but anyway, it's not a translation. It's a paraphrase. Uh, did I miss any? Anybody have one that I didn't call? Am I right in saying that it looked to me like the majority use either the King James or the NIV? And then the ESV third after that. Is that right? Okay. Like I say, I'm just curious what our folks use. I might ask that on a Sunday morning. The Purack Bible is ESV. But the uh, reason I ask that, uh, the NIV continues to be the number one seller uh, in the country as far as Bibles. Uh, uh, anyway, just curious. Parkwood, Concord, or Gastonia? Concord? Okay. Well, uh, usually I use the ESV. I'm going to use the NIV tonight. Okay? Find uh, 29, chapter 29, deception and irony. Deception and irony. Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob asked the shepherds, My brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran. They replied, He said to them, Do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Then Jacob asked them, Is he well? Yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. Look, he said, the sun is still high. It is not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah, 
So she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, You are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. In 1597, William Shakespeare first published what has become the classic love story of all time. What's the name of it? Romeo and Juliet. It's classified as a tragic drama. Now, for those who know the story, let me just kind of briefly summarize. Uh, We know in the story that for many years there's been this ongoing feud between two families that's caused a great deal of disruption in the city of Verona, Italy. The Catlets and the Montagues cannot get along and there's been many, many deaths actually because of this feud. As the stage opens, Romeo, a Montague, enters. He's recently been denied the love of Rosaline. He's miserable over this. His friend and cousin, uh, ben, Benvolio, enters and decides that they'll go to the Capulet feast. They'll go in disguise though, so he can prove to Romeo that there are other beautiful women who exist in the world. 
Well, at the feast, Romeo meets Juliet, and it is love at first sight. Eventually, they decide to marry. They enlist the help of Friar Lawrence, who agrees to marry them and hopes that the marriage will end the feud between the two families. Later on that afternoon, Tybalt, a nephew of Lady Capulet, enters. He meets Romeo and starts a fight with him because he's learned that Romeo, again a Montague, has gone to the Capulet feast. A friend of Romeo's is outraged by Tybalt's challenge of Romeo, fights him in a duel. Tybalt kills the friend, and in return, Romeo kills him. Well, as punishment, Romeo is exiled from Verona. In hiding, he's ready to commit suicide, but Friar Lawrence convinces him to go to Juliet and to at least say goodbye. Well, meanwhile, it's been arranged for Juliet to marry another. She refuses, but her father prevails. The wedding is set. Friar Lawrence gives Juliet a portion that will make her appear dead. They all have a funeral for Juliet. She's laid in a a tomb or a mausoleum. Romeo hears of Juliet's death. Tragically, he's not been told that it's a ruse. He thinks she's actually dead and, and uh, he doesn't know again that this is going to wear off and she'll be okay. So what's Romeo do? He buys a vial of poison and goes to the tomb of Juliet. And there he encounters Paris who was to marry Juliet. He kills Paris and then drinks his own poison, dies alongside of Juliet. Just then, Juliet awakens from her potion, sees Romeo dead, kisses him, and plunges his sword into herself and dies there with him. Well, when the grieving families learn everything that has transpired, Friar Lawrence explains everything, and the Capulets and the Montagues agree that they've caused too much pain over this feud And from now on, the fighting will be over. Classic love story. Love stories. Especially the ladies love them, right? And the men, we just tolerate them for the sake of our wives. Well... Genesis 29 begins a love story. It is the story of when Jacob meets and marries Rachel. Now to me, it's also one of the most tragic stories in the Bible. I always feel sorry for Leah. She, think about it ladies, she was destined to live her entire life knowing that her husband did not love her the way that he loved her sister. So imagine being in a marriage where you know that your mate doesn't really love you. You're just sort of there existing. Well, as the chapter opens, Jacob is continuing this journey to the land of his mother's family so that he will not take a wife from among the Canaanites. Now, what we're going to see tonight is the chickens coming home to roost, so to speak. The deceiver is going to be deceived. 
Now, what we're going to see is that God's discipline, God disciplines his children rather. And he allows us at times to reap what we have sown. God disciplines his children and he allows us to reap what we have sown. Now, folks, you have no idea probably yet the amount of irony that you're going to see in this story tonight. Well, the first thing I want you to see with me is the journey. Look at the journey that begins in verse 1 and uh, goes all the way down through verse 13. The Hebrew in verse 1 is interesting. When it says that Jacob went on his way or he continued on his way, it has the idea of going on his way with a light step and a merry heart. In other words, he's kicking up his heels and he has a song in his heart. Why? Well, because he's just had this awesome vision from God. And with that awesome vision, uh, he's, heard, he, he's heard the promises of God to him. God's wonderful promises. And Jacob has made some pretty tremendous vows. And he knows that God is going to be with him. Just the way that God was with Abraham and Isaac, God's going to be with him now. And so his step is lightened. And his heart is merry. And it may be also that the weight of his guilt over what he did to his father and his brother has been somewhat lifted too. Well, when he gets to where he's headed, he, he comes upon the watering hole. And there he finds three flocks of sheep waiting to be watered. Now, apparently the shepherds... Uh, The first to get to the watering hole that day are simply waiting for the other shepherds with their flocks to finally arrive. Jacob may even know the story well of Abraham's servant coming to the watering hole years earlier and how God provided Rebekah for Jacob's father Isaac. He may be thinking about that. Maybe his father has told him uh, that story. One writer has described this scene as being like modern day dock workers on their lunch break. And they're laying out in the sun and they've got their hats over their eyes. And they're catching a few Z's. Jacob begins to speak to them and they briefly communicate, perhaps in very few words... They can't take the large stone away yet because all the flocks are not there. Evidently the stone was quite cumbersome and they just don't want to have to deal with it multiple times. And they don't want to leave it uncovered either for fear of pollution or contamination. Or maybe if they leave it uncovered and they kick back in the sun and take a nap waiting on everybody else. Who knows? Some child or somebody may come by and fall in. For whatever reason, they don't want to uncover the well. They want to wait. Well, Jacob engages them in conversation. He asks them about Laban. And sure enough, they know Laban. Uh, 
They tell him that Laban is well. And by the way, speaking of Laban, here comes his daughter, Rachel. She's a shepherdess. When he sees Rachel, he's kind of like a guy on a date with a girl and her little brother is underfoot. And he says, here kid, here's a couple of bucks. Go buy you some ice cream. He's wanting to get these other shepherds out of the way. Well, they don't take the bait. So he goes over, he rolls the stone away. Obviously, Jacob is no sissy. He rolls this stone away himself. He waters Rachel's sheep. He kisses her. This is not a romantic thing yet. This is just Eastern custom. In fact, in a little bit, he and Laban are going to kiss the same way. It's just a greeting. But he's overjoyed. Now, I can't help but see in this whole scene that Jacob sees God's hand at work. He's overjoyed. Think back to those times in your own life that you prayed for something. And you began to see the hand of God working. You were overjoyed. Maybe you were praying for a mate. And God brought the right one into your life. And over and over again you saw little confirmations that this indeed was the right one. Or you were praying about a new job and things began to happen. And over and over again you saw confirmation of God doing something new in your life. Moving you into that new position. And there was just this deep-seated joy and satisfaction in your life. That's kind of like what Jacob is experiencing. God told Jacob that he would be with him, that he would provide for him. And Jacob is seeing evidence of that right in front of his eyes. Folks, you can understand why he weeps. These are tears of gratitude. These are tears of joy. Laban takes him back to his home. We're told that Jacob stays with him initially for a month. Well, I want you to see secondly that the love story begins. Beginning in verse 14. The love story begins. After a month, Laban comes to Jacob and basically says, I can't keep letting you do this. You're working for me for nothing. Tell me what your wages ought to be. Well, guess what's been happening over the course of that month? Jacob has been falling head over heels in love with Rachel. Maybe every evening after the work day is over, they've been taking, taking long evening walks together. Jacob is hooked. He's hooked. He goes to bed thinking about Rachel. He gets up thinking about Rachel. He's in love. Jacob doesn't even have to think about his wages. He blurts out, I'll work for you seven years for your daughter Rachel's hand in marriage. 
And look at what we're told about Rachel. We're told she was beautiful. She was beautiful in form and she had a beautiful face. We're also told something about her older sister Leah. Her her sister Leah was evidently not so eye-catching. And we're told also something else about her, that she had weak eyes. Now commentators debate what's being communicated here. They wrestle with it. Uh, I never have really wrestled with it. I may, I may be wrong, but the image that I've always gotten of Leah is my grandmother Davis and my uncle Dennis. My, my dad's little brother. Uh, my grandmother and her youngest son both had weak eyes. Now, the version of weak eyes they had, their eyelids drooped way down low over their eyes. Imagine you closing your eyes about 75%, your eyelids. And that's how their eyes were when their eyes were wide open. Uh, my, my uncle Dennis, he died of a massive brain aneurysm when he was only 36 years of age. But when he was about 30 years old, he got his eyes fixed. They trimmed his eyelids away. He had normal eyelids after surgery. My grandmother never did get, get hers fixed. Anyway, that's what I always picture with Liam, weak eyes, drooping eyelids. Uh, it could even mean that she simply needed glasses. It, it, could, it could mean that she was nearsighted. Weak eyes in the sense she, she couldn't see very far in front of her. She's not very attractive, plus she can't see very well. That's Leah. Well, whatever her exact condition was, we know that the younger sister, Rachel, got all the looks in the family. She was a beauty queen. Now, here's this new boy who's your cousin. He's been staying on the farm, and he can't take his eyes off of your baby sister. So Jacob jumps at the chance to tell Laban, I'll work for Rachel. Laban says, fine, your family. I'd rather you marry her than have some stranger marry her. Now, folks, keep in mind that at this point in the Bible, it was acceptable for cousins to marry. It's generally believed that at this point in the human race, genetic weaknesses and genetic faults hadn't developed that far in the, in the gene pool. Today, if family members were to marry, there could be issues with your children, right? Because as time has gone along, the gene pool has gotten more and more corrupt, more and more imperfections in it. So if you were to marry a cousin now, you might end up with a, a child that looks like David Fink. You know, <laughs> but back then it was it was okay. It was okay. This may even explain why they lived a little bit longer, 
Because again, the gene pool was healthier. Well, Rachel must have been a good bit younger than Jacob too. The seven years would have given her time to grow up more. He didn't mind working seven years. She'd grow up more. She'd become a young woman. In fact, Jacob is probably substantially older than Rachel. Well, at any rate, the time flew by because he loved her so much. Folks, we see something here that people don't like today. What is it? Patience and delayed gratification. The microwave oven is too slow. The drive-through at Wendy's or McDonald's or Chick-fil-A is too slow. We don't want to wait. But Jacob is learning some valuable lessons as he waits. He's learning work and he's learning service. Those are very important character qualities. Especially for a man back then planning on having a family of his own. A strong work ethic and a service ethic. Keep in mind work is not a bad thing. God created us to work. He put Adam and Eve in the garden and they were to work the garden. They were to be stewards of God's creation and have dominion over everything. Now true, after the fall that's recorded in Genesis 3, work became more of a struggle. It became more tiresome, more wearisome. But still, God has destined us to work. Did you see the story today about the farmer? They were hard workers back then, farmers and shepherds. Did you see the story today about the 63-year-old farmer in Nebraska? Did anybody see that? He stepped into the corn auger and it it uh, amputated his foot and shredded his leg going up his calf. Didn't have a cell phone on him. 1,500 acre farm. He knew that yelling would be pointless. He got out a three inch pocket knife and he amputated his own leg. You do what, and you have to love his attitude. When he was interviewed about it, he said, hey, you know what? It's good. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I'll get over this. I'll get me a prosthetic leg. And I'll be up walking again. This is no big deal. (laughs) You got to admire somebody like that, don't you? Hard-working farmer. Well, anyway, work can be hard. Work can even be dangerous. But God created us to work. It's good. Jacob is learning work and service. Two very important character traits. Well, thirdly, I want you to see God's discipline. God's discipline. Beginning there in verse 23 and going through verse 30. We're going to see some things here that God allowed uh, to happen to Jacob. 
some very difficult things that God allowed to happen to Jacob. And folks, we need to see the hand of God behind it all. God is sovereign. Now, God is not the author of sin, but God will allow difficult things to happen to us. And sometimes God allows difficult things in order to discipline us. Jacob has been a bad boy, remember? He's been a trickster. He's been a deceiver. And so God's going to let him have a taste of his own medicine. Hebrews 12 says that God disciplines his children for their own good. In fact, discipline is a sign that you're God's child. If you're without discipline, you're not his, the writer of Hebrews says. God is disciplining his son, Jacob. Now let's see how all this plays out. Finally, Jacob goes to Laban and he says, Okay, Laban, my time's up. Give me my wife. The bluntness of the Hebrew as well as the English uh, translation suggest that Laban has begun milking this thing. The seven years have come and gone and Laban's not opening his mouth. I mean, he's getting free labor. He's not about to be the one to suggest to Jacob, hey, time's up, here's Rachel. He's milking this thing. It's like he's forgotten this bargain that he struck with Jacob seven years earlier. But Jacob says, time's up. It's time for a wedding. Well, they have a celebration, they have a wedding, the hour is late. It's dark, the women wore veils, plus there was probably wine flowing. Probably Leah and Rachel were very similar in body build, height, and size. Similar body build, Leah just doesn't have the good looks that Rachel has. All of these factors mean that they go into the tent at night and Jacob never knows until the light of day it's Leah, it's not Rachel. And what was his response? He's livid. He's absolutely livid. The deceiver has been deceived. And folks... Make no mistake about it. Leah is in on this too. In fact, she must have dressed in some of her sister's clothes to have the smell of her sister on her. Maybe her sister even had some type of perfumed oil that she put on. And so Leah puts this on too. Does this remind you of anything earlier? Jacob dressing in Esau's clothes, right? So he would have the smell of Esau on him. In fact, it makes you kind of wonder what lengths Leah must have gone to 
to pass herself off as Rachel. As Dr. Kent Hughes writes, What he said to Leah, we can only imagine. He had whispered Rachel's name a hundred times to Leah during the night. And she had played her sister with passion. This was an ugly soap opera. End of quote. Now, how they had gotten rid of Rachel to the wedding was over, now, we're not told. Obviously, some way, somehow, they've kept this from Rachel. Well, you know, Leah must have also grown to love Jacob over the past seven years. And she must have been quite jealous, probably, of her younger, beautiful sister. Now the marriage has been consummated. There's no reversing that fact. Jacob has been had and he knows it. He says to Laban, you've deceived me. How do you think those words must have sounded to him as he said that to Laban? Knowing that he had deceived his father Isaac. Do you think when he said that to Laban, you've deceived me? You you think he stopped and thought for a moment what he had done to Isaac? Now he knows what it's like to be on the receiving end. And it doesn't feel so good. Then also there's Rachel. Think of how hurt Rachel must have been. Her sister has hurt her terribly. Jacob had hurt his brother Esau. Now Leah hurts her sister Rachel, who was Jacob's dearly beloved. Laban tries to calm down Jacob. He explains the custom of not marrying off the younger before the older. I dare say those words were probably of little comfort to Jacob. But Laban says, let Leah have her week of basking in her wedding. Then you can have Rachel if you'll work for me another seven years. Now Jacob will be his servant for 14 years, not the original seven. Laban has socked it to him. The deceiver has been deceived by somebody who was a master at it. Folks, there are ironies at work at so many levels. Rebecca and Jacob. Think about Rebecca and Jacob scheming together to trick Isaac and cheat Esau. And now think about Laban and Leah working together to trick Jacob and cheat Rachel. Leah hurting her sister Rachel. Jacob hurting his brother Esau. Jacob had not respected the issue of the firstborn when it came to Esau. So now he has to learn the hard way the rights of the firstborn Leah. Jacob took the blessing of Esau for a pot of stew. Now Laban changes the wages, 
the wages agreement that he had with Laban gets an additional seven years out of him. Later on with Jacob, what, what are his sons going to do? His sons are going to take Joseph's robe and dip it in blood, making Jacob think that Joseph has been torn to shreds by a wild animal. Rebekah and Jacob took animal skins and used animal skins to deceive Isaac. So many parallels and ironies going on here. We might even say that through tragic ironies, God is taking Jacob to the woodshed and giving him a a double dose of trickery and deception. What's this remind you of in the New Testament? I'll tell you what it reminds me of. Galatians 6, 7. What's Galatians 6, 7 say? Be not deceived. God will not be mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Jacob has sowed deception and trickery and now he's getting it back big time. Jacob is also going to end up with two wives plus two servant girls also who are wives. So there's one man in a tent with four wives, twelve sons, and one daughter before it's said and done. Oh boy, that just kind of makes you exhausted to think about it all, doesn't it? His chickens have come home to roost. But folks, through it all, you know what you can write over this? Romans 8, 28 and 29. In all things, God is working, God is working together in all things for the good of those who love him. Those who are called according to his purpose. And he goes on to say there, Paul does in Romans 8, that what God is doing, causing all things to work together for good, he's using all these things in our lives to conform us to the image of Christ. Yes, God took Jacob to the woodshed and he gave Jacob a double dose of his own medicine. But... God continued his work in and through Jacob. Did God love Jacob? Yes. Absolutely. What's he say in Romans 9? What's God say? Jacob I have loved. Esau I have hated. God himself said that he loved Jacob. Yes, he loved Jacob. He took him to the woodshed, though. The trickster got tricked. Exactly. He never saw Rachel. I mean, uh, Rebecca again. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I just, I think of all those ironies. Again, just, just think about it. Rebecca and Jacob scheming together to trick Isaac and cheat Esau. Laban and Leah working together to trick Jacob and cheat Rachel.
Leah hurting her sister, Jacob hurting his brother. Jacob not respecting the issue of the firstborn with Esau. Now having to learn the hard way the rights of the firstborn, Leah. Jacob taking the blessing of Esau for a pot of stew. Now Laban changing the wages agreement with Jacob to get an additional seven years. All the parallels and the ironies. And where is, where is God? He's there. He's working. And he's, advan- he's advancing his purposes. Some lessons I want to leave you with tonight. Lesson number one. Just because you belong to God, don't think that he won't discipline you. He'll discipline you because you do belong to him. Because he loves you. Secondly, you and I are told that we will reap what we've sown. And and folks, God has a good memory. God has a good memory. He knows what you've sown. And he says you'll reap what you sow. And then thirdly and lastly, remember that despite discipline and hardship, God loves you and God is working in you to mature you and to conform you more and more to the image of Christ. Any questions? Any comments? Larry? You what? Yeah. Yeah. It does. <laughs> and it 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 probably also had to do with Rachel's age. Giving her time to get older and be of Marian age. Jacob was Jacob was already, yes, pretty old. Quite, quite an age difference between Jacob and Rachel. Yes. Grandpa marries the teenager. acceptable back then common back then big age differences like this Now, folks, too, uh, keep in mind Genesis 2. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave with his wife, and the two shall become what? One flesh. Everywhere uh, in the book of Genesis where you see polygamy, 
There's hurt. There's pain. It wasn't God's plan. That's part of the fall. That's part of the fall, part of sin. And there was pain, pain in the household. And we're going to see it here with Rachel and Leah. Um, But we do see it. And the patriarch, here's the third patriarch now. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. As I've told you before, in the book of Genesis, we see how God uses some pretty imperfect people. Gives you hope and me hope, doesn't it? Anything else? Fascinating chapter. Chickens coming home to roost. <laughs>